The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. President Trump gives ground on the transition to Joe Biden's team, instructing a federal agency to provide briefings now and funding to the incoming administration. Dow futures rally over 200 points on the news after a positive session saw the small cap Russell 2000 hit a new record high. And look who we think's back. The former Fed chair Janet Yellen is tipped to become the first woman to be named Treasury Secretary. As news of her appointment leaks, a further boosting futures in early trade. And President-elect Biden also names key cabinet positions with Anthony Blinken, the choice for Secretary of State, whilst John Kerry is put forward as climate czar uh, as the new administration looks to rejoin the Paris Agreement. The British government looks to free up air travel around the holidays with a new test and release scheme that could see quarantine shortened to only five days. So fascinating developments uh, politically overnight and starting to suggest that maybe the worst isn't going to happen, that this transition will turn out to be smooth. Well, look, the president's had a, a, a tough time in the courts. I was trying to work out how many he's won and how many he's lost. He's single digit wins. He's lost a lot, you know, over a couple of dozen court cases uh, since the election, trying to the hold back the tide of this as well. But I just got a feeling things look a little bit back to the future, a little bit duller. The next four years aren't going to be quite as rumbustuous <laughs> and roller coaster like, given what we've learned in the last 24 hours. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? Let's, let's get into the details on it then. U.S. futures are pointing higher this hour after the head of a key federal agency began the formal transition process to President-elect Joe Biden's administration. General Services Administration Chief Emily Murphy pledged to set aside $6.3 million for Biden's team. Murphy said she took the decision independently, adding she she chose to initially hold back the funding until the vote counting process finished. The move will now allow Biden officials to coordinate with the White House over key issues, including the pandemic response and national security. Uh, the president, Mr. Trump, tweeted that he accepted the decision, saying he has told his team to cooperate with the transition. However, he refused to concede defeat in the election, vowing to continue fighting the result in court, despite, as we mentioned, a string of recent legal setbacks. Well, the former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen uh, is tipped to succeed Stephen Mnuchin as the Treasury Secretary in President-elect Joe Biden's cabinet. This according to CNBC sources. Uh, Mrs. Yellen will be the first woman to hold the position. She previously served as Federal Reserve Chair from 2014 to 2018 and previously also led the Council of Economic Advisers during the Clinton administration. The Biden transition team has announced six key cabinet picks. 
uh, a device group uh, reflecting the president elect's uh, promise to build a team that, quote, looks like America. The appointments include Alejandro Mayorkas and Avril Haines to lead Homeland Security and National Intelligence, respectively. Anthony Blinken, a familiar name, is set to serve as the Secretary of State, whilst Linda Thomas Greenfield will represent the US at the UN. Jake Sullivan will be the National Security Advisor. John Kerry's back. Uh, he's due to return to the White House as the president's climate envoy, which for me gives a little bit of muddying waters about who the, the energy secretary and where the delineation between those two will be. But that's just off the top of my head thinking about John Kerry uh, and indeed be interested to see who he's put forward as the energy secretary. Don't forget, some of these names need to, uh, could have interesting times and confirmation as well. And that might be why we've seen uh, certain names tip forward rather than others, such as Susan Rice, who was looked at at one point for having a key cabinet role. But who knows? So this is where we are on the US markets from yesterday. Uh, and, and actually coming off what was a really lackluster European session, Jeff and I talked about it in the early part of the session yesterday, is actually a really very strong performance. And, and it's very interesting to see where the strength was as well. But we'll have a look at the banks as well. I think that the banks is the next one that uh, we've got up to look here. So we'll just see the high beta sectors moving to the upside. And uh, JP Morgan Chase, 2.9% higher. Wells Fargo, 3.2% higher. Maybe they like the idea uh, of a, a steady hand at the tiller in terms of Janet Yellen as well. And people have started already talking about, well, the transition. In fact, Jeff made the point yesterday morning before we even knew about Janet Yellen for sure, that, that, that the transition from uh, a central banker uh, to a politician, a treasury secretary, will be very interesting. But of course, she has had her own fair share uh, of Congress grillings as well. So she, she's pretty adept in that way as well. What I really wanted to look at was energy. So let's just have a look at some of the energy stocks from yesterday because it was quite extraordinary move to the upside. And in fact, if you're brushing your teeth or you're not watching, have a look at the screen quickly. Look at this. Phillips, 7.7% higher. Exxon, 6.5%. These are meaty stocks. Chevron was up 6.1%. The energy sector had one of its best sessions of the year. Not the best. It had a, a bigger one than that before. But it's up 7.1% in the mean yesterday. It's still down, by the way, year to date, because now we're beginning to look at a few of these things. Uh, down 37%. One thing I did do as well is I had a look at a few of the month-to-date moves as well uh, on some of these indices and some of these markets. And actually, when you look at the Russell 2K, which has gone through the roof, extraordinary moves. Uh, we've seen in terms of this rotation story. Let's have a look at the Asian markets. And there's one thing that I, I heard Jeff when he came in belatedly um, talking about, he only gets in five minutes after me, uh, the Nikkei. And, and we were trying, well, what's the catalyst? What's the catalyst? And well, the producer going, well, it's a 29 year head, guys. We need to do better than that as well. But the fact of the matter is, it's gone very risk on. I took a look at the currency. There was nothing going on on the dollar yen that boosted those exporters that made me think, oh, wow, the Nikkei is going to have a great session. But look, all of a sudden, two point. 5% higher as well. Uh, a flat Hang Sang and actually the Shanghai Composite down four tenths of 1%. Nice rally on the ASX 200. That'll be mostly in part because of those basic resources stocks, which we also saw rallying in the European session yesterday. So I'm fascinated because looking at the opening calls for Europe, we don't look that excited to the upside, but there are certain things which are actually away to the races at the moment. Good morning to you, my friend. Yeah, very good morning to you. Uh, so just as you were wandering back, the producer jumped in my ear and said, have you seen the Novartis flashes? Yes. So I better just mention the Novartis flashes and then we'll um, we'll come back. Uh, we'll circle back to Janet Yellen because I think there's a, a lot for us to talk about here and there's an awful lot for the markets to digest in terms of the early running for this Biden administration. But let's have a, a quick look at uh, what Novartis Novartis uh, have to say. Um, Novartis on track to deliver two billion U.S. dollar cost savings by year end, 
uh, across Novartis Technical Operations and Business Services. The group uh, says um, innovative medicines expected to reach high 30s in the mid term. Uh, target for Novartis Technical Operations Productivity Program starting 2021 increased from uh, $1.5 billion then to $2 billion. But effectively, we're getting an update here on how the company sees its margin development and margin expansion. Highlights confidence in growing sales with margin expansion fueled by in-market brands and a rich pipeline. Uh, this at the annual meet uh, of the management investor event. Uh, key growth drivers now contributing to 48% of innovative uh, medicine sales. Pipeline expected to uh, fuel growth in mid to long term, uh, initiating share buyback of up to two and a half billion US dollars. And I guess that's the line that will stick out like a sore thumb to uh, any existing Novartis uh, shareholders and those maybe who are kicking the tyres on the stock at the moment. Anything you want to chuck in? I do want to chuck in. And I just want to, some pharmaceutical companies are being bought because of their exposure to COVID-19, whether it be treatments or whether it be potential vaccines as well. Others uh, have more traditional measures. And of course, Novartis has got caught up in one of its drugs being potentially uh, a bit of a, a treatment, but obviously there's a lot of question marks. I think it was hydroxychloroquine, wasn't it, as well? Yes. We spoke to Vazner Seaman about this one as well. But what I wanted to do is just a very quick compare and contrast. Two factors. One, AstraZeneca, of course, the, the stock du jour yesterday, everyone talking about it, 5.17% higher year to date, whereas Novartis is down 13.4%. So you can see actually very clear water between the two in terms of an 18% outperformance uh, on AstraZeneca. But So a, a drug which is primarily not to do with COVID-19, Novartis, this one. I want to know what the brokers thought about this one because this is the kind of stock which which, which, when, when the world goes back to some form of normality, people will be looking at all their treatments and what they've got. And, and what was interesting is the brokers are really split on this one. There, there's, there's some buyers and strong buyers out there, but strong buyers eight, sellers two, holders seven. So by and large, the market likes this one. Maybe they're beginning to like the fact that there are other pharmaceutical companies out there um, that are still trading at a big discount as well. But a big discount to the likes of AstraZeneca and their year-to-date performance. So let's, should we move on and talk about Janet Yellen? Let's talk about is, Janet Yellen. This is seismic. So there's a lot for the market to like here. Obviously, this is a very smart decision by the Biden administration. It provides a level of comfort for the markets. They know her. She is a known quantity. They remember the four-year term that she served. Very much someone who comes in with a, an experienced background in labour economics, which is going to be vital as well, given what we know about the job market and the labour picture. On the other side of the ledger, though, there are some reasons to be yeah, a little bit uh, cooler heads prevail. And, and it's an unimaginative pick in the sense that she is a known quantity. She is all those things we just mentioned. And she comes in as a, what, uh, apologise for mentioning a lady's age, but she is in her, in her mid-70s here, which again, you know, raises the overall demographic of this administration. And will that be satisfactory to the millennials and those who are perhaps hoping for a, a younger skew and policies and people that sound more like them? And I'll just reiterate the point that I made yesterday, a, a confirmation of someone who's already operated within the Federal Reserve. Is there a perhaps a, a mistake here in terms of knitting together the Treasury and the Federal Reserve more closely, given the arguments around central bank independence? 
or given the circumstances we're in globally and in the United States at debt levels, is this a clever choice? Because ultimately, someone who understands the Fed now at the Treasury will work hand in glove on a re recovery program. Yeah, there's not a lot more to say about this, really. I, I think the steady hand at the tiller is going to be something that typifies. A lot. I mean, look at these names that we've got. Blinken, Kerry, Yellen, nothing mm. particularly out there. Nothing like, you know, when Tillerson got, became Secretary of State, we thought, well, what's going to happen here? Yeah. This man has been like running Exxon with an iron rod for years. Now, what's he going to be like as Treasury Secretary? Well, I think it's fair to say, whether you like Mr. Tillerson or not, it was a disaster because he tried to do things in his way, in perhaps uh, his businessman-type way, and it just didn't work at the, tre uh, the, um, the, the Secretary of State's office. It, it wound a lot of people up at State as well. Mm. He didn't build consensus as well. And of course, then ultimately, his relationship with the president uh, was damaged as well. So we're talking about people here who we know they can do their job. They're very... Um, consensus-like, and they will build mm. consensus. I'm sure a lot of politicians won't have too many problems with Miss Yellen. And I think central bankers, let's face it, they have carried a lot of the load. And as we've seen with Madame Lagarde, and she's coming, when she, she's come in, and she hasn't actually been able to do so much. There won't be so many tools available for Janet Yellen and, and Christine Lagarde as there were available uh, for Mr. Bernanke or mm. perhaps Mr. Powell or certainly Mr. Draghi as well. So we're kind of thinking about, well, let's move this onto the fiscal side of things and just have a steady hand at the central banking tiller. I, I mean, I guess that's why we got a, a, a bit of a pop yesterday. Um, one is obviously the market's now starting to think. Whew, big sigh of relief, knee-jerk relief rally. Trump is ultimately going to go, maybe not quietly into the night, but he is going to leave, which is something that I think many in the markets were concerned about. It's a shame this would in be some ways. Because a troublesome transition. You, aren't you going to miss the Four Seasons landscaping press conference or the one where there's <laughs> hair dye dripping down a face or the one where uh, a prominent lawyer accuses all of being a chavista plot kind of thing? Bearing in mind... Hugo Chavez is no longer with us, is he? You know, yes, there was yeah. some, there's some nuts stuff going on, which for journalists, you just think, wow, this is gold dust. But actually, it's going to be yeah. a lot more boring, isn't it? Well, incredibly colourful. I, I don't know if it's going to be boring, though. I don't think with this level of debt, which you continue to focus on, and I think we're all very worried about, this is not going to be boring. The next four years in no way are going to be easy no, for this but administration. Is, there is no way. Look. People have spoken... To, I, I've had this conversation a lot with people, and I think you probably have as well. And the thought, it, Are we going to miss Trump? And the fact is, well, A, for a start, he's going to be around for a long time anyway. And, you know, mm -hmm. who knows what's going to happen in 2024, whether it's going to be him, one of his children, or whether he's going to be the overriding force on the Republican nomination process going forward as well. Mm -hmm. Let's just wait and see on that one. But as a president, as the most powerful man in... I think probably the most powerful man in the world, no offence to President Xi, but probably still the most powerful man in the world, <laughs> President Trump as well... We're gonna we're gonna miss the colour, aren't we? We're gonna miss the I was gonna say bonkers natures of, of the presidency, but there were times when it felt just incredible. You just never knew what was coming back next. You're not gonna get that from Joe Biden, are you? Wouldn't have thought so. Wouldn't have thought so. I mean, the, all the people that you mentioned and that we've talked about so far are centrist in nature and they are not unilateralists. They will look perhaps to bring the WHO, the WTO, NATO, all these multilateral organisations back into play. And I'll say, let, let me just say something that's slightly political here for a moment. When this crisis kicked off, the world was looking for leadership. America has historically, in the recent past, provided that leadership as the largest economy and the most powerful militarily. There are many, I think, who feel that that leadership 
went missing when it was needed. Instead of an approach that knitted together the world's governments, we had an approach that was based on grabbing as much of whatever was necessary in medicinal terms for single countries. And that started with the president. And, and you know who else hasn't stepped up here? Xi Jinping. Where was the Chinese leadership? China had a terrific opportunity to put a stake in the ground and say, okay, this may have originated in our country, but we are going to get ahead of the pack here and we are going to work in the interests of all countries and all peoples. And I think they missed that opportunity as well. So here we are with an opportunity for some kind of restart with a new Biden administration. And God help us, let's make sure or let's hope that for, for once and all, for, for once and all, we we see um, Biden stepping up. We see the U.S. administration taking hold of the reins here and saying, "We're going to make sure that the distribution of of this pandemic uh, relief money and the vaccine goes to all the people that need it." Great. Should I get off my soapbox? No, no, it's great. Sorry, I just started talking, and I was getting more heartfelt as I was talking oh, about it. But I, it? I, I do, do feel that um, there's just been a little bit of MIA here on that was, something that was, that was that's so the, key that was for the what world. The populists who voted, or the, no, no, that's not true. The, 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 the heartfelt voters who voted for Mr. Trump, they wanted. They wanted the system shaken up. They wanted yeah. the swamp drained, didn't they? That is what the president promised. Did the prom president deliver that? He certainly shook things up. Whether he delivered for America or Americans will be debated for a very long time. Uh, we've got to squeeze in a break at this point. We'll be back in just a moment. Stay with us. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson outlines his winter plan to combat the spread of the virus, confirming the national lockdown will end on December the 2nd. We'll have more on that story when we come back. And for more on Joe Biden's proposed cabinet and to see what impact the former Fed Chair Janet Yellen may have on his administration, check out CNBC.com. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. this earlier on yesterday and AstraZeneca just wasn't responding. Now, I mentioned the outperformance versus the likes of Novartis um, just as a, an interesting trading pair as well. But AstraZeneca's shares, they actually closed lower yesterday after the pharma giant reported its coronavirus vaccine has an average efficacy of 70% in preventing the virus. It's extraordinary. If you look at the stories of how they got to the 90% on the half dose and then the full dose on the... It's a, it's, it was serendipity, I think they're calling it, Jeff. Did you see that? No. So they reckon, I, mean, I don't know if this is just one version. I, 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 again, I hasten there. There may be a version. So you know the, the, the version that got the 90% efficacy is half dose followed by a full dose. Right. Well, apparently that was a mistake on the UK testing, what have you. The, oh. the half dose, they got the measurement wrong, what have you. So right. actually only then they thought, oh, well, we'll carry on the test yes. and we'll do the full dose as the second dose. 
Amazing. I guess science the, is uh, just incredible in that way. Every now and again, you have one of those accidental breakthroughs. You, you look at any of this stuff, any great scientist, whether it's Turing or whether it's you know, all these amazing Nobel winners, maybe, a lot of this stuff is just trial and error and luck and just seeing how it falls mm. and that. But that's, anyway, that may not be the conclusive story, but that's what I read. I think it was in the London Times today, anyway. Mm. Uh, the company's executive vice president, Arud Dobber, told CNBC the results add to hopes of finding a broad solution to the pandemic. We are starting to create the herd immunity. Uh, specialist experts are saying you need to vaccinate roughly 70% of, of, of the population in order to achieve that. Uh, so we can only hope that uh, together with Pfizer, Moderna and also AstraZeneca, we will manufacture enough doses in order to achieve that sooner than uh, than later. Uh, the British government has announced that travellers to England, will, this England, by the way, it's different in Scotland, uh, will be able to cut their quarantine by more than half if they produce a negative COVID test after five days. The new rules are set to come into effect on December 15th. Tra uh, passengers will have to pay for their own test, of course, uh, with prices ranging from £65 to £120. The airline industry body has described it as, quote, light at the end of the tunnel. Well, we'll have more on the new rules for travellers later on when we speak to Jonathan Pollard, who is the Chief Commercial Officer at Gatwick Airport. Uh, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson has confirmed the country's national lockdown will end on December the 2nd, but has outlined a toughened set of measures that will be in place until the end of March. Johnson's winter plan will see a fresh set of restrictions applied regionally and will be based on a three-tier system. The Prime Minister also welcomed the recent vaccine breakthroughs, expressing his hope that the vast majority of vulnerable people will be vaccinated by Easter. But Johnson said huge issues remain before the country can begin a mass vaccination programme. Even before we've got the approvals for any of these three uh, vaccines, uh, we're, we're looking at uh, exactly how we can distribute it, the, the immense logistical challenges uh, a, a large number of partners uh, will be coming together to, to deliver it. Uh, the NHS, clearly, uh, local authorities, uh, the armed services, uh, Public Health England, uh, we, we will all be working uh, together. They've all done an outstanding job so far, but there's a, a huge, huge effort uh, to go now. And that's why I, it's because it's such a big logistical challenge uh, that that's why I, I wanted to enter this important note of caution. We haven't got these things yet. Even when we do get them, it will take a long time. It will take a while before we can get the, the shots in the arms where they're needed. There's a prime minister who's got a few things. Um, so we say a checkered history over the over the year. I they said we're going to have a world beating track test and trace system, world beating app. Yeah. Uh, we're going to have this. We're going to have that. And I thought that was a far more cautious Boris Johnson there talking about the logistical issues and, of course, about the regulatory approval as well, uh, both of which are not inconsequential uh, in this whole process as well. That said, um, they will put everything, won't they, everything into protecting the vulnerable and, and going down this sliding scale. And I think it starts off, of course, with the most vulnerable, who are the over 80s in care homes. Which is... <clears throat> so this is the bit I, I'm a bit confused about here, right? So we knew all along that um, the death rate was significantly higher in the most vulnerable. Yes. Okay. Um, so most of the activity should have been around prote protecting the most vulnerable anyway. Shielding the most vulnerable, yes. Shielding the most vulnerable. Um, if we 
target the most vulnerable with the vaccination as soon as it's available. Surely after that, we don't have to have such onerous plans in place on lockdowns until Easter. Surely we can begin to allow people to go about their business using common sense around social distancing and masks because we know that they're unlikely to die even if they have the virus. The piece of data that people like you, again, we mentioned our libertarian nature as well, but the piece of data which seems the hardest to get hold of that people around the world want and I'm not talking about anti-vaxxers, and I'm not no. talking about conspiracy theories. I'm talking about normal people who, like you say, have been observing everything and obeying all the rules. The data we want is how many healthy people under the age of 40, under the age of 50, or even in every demographic, how no. many healthy younger people are without any existing um, illnesses are dying of COVID. And if the numbers are infinitesimally small, as mm. many of us believe they potentially are on mm. the available data, then those echelons of society should, as you quite rightly say, be allowed to get out there and get on with life. I mean, the problem is we're, we're going to see, I expect, some of this information at the back end, which will be too late to save a lot of the economy. And, uh, you, you know, whether it's being withheld for political reasons or whether it's just not being tabulated appropriately, I don't know. But give us the hard data and we can make a reasonable there. assessment for ourselves about how we conduct our and lives. And I'll make the point that year groups of up to 100, 200, 300, or whether it's a school, primary, university, college, they would not be allowed out in society mixing if, and then coming home to their parents every evening if they were a vulnerable group. It's a fact. The, the government would not let them out. They would be treating them in the same way as other echelons as well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.